this from a slice of gabagool. Kind of like Proust's Madeleines. What? Marcel Proust wrote a seven-volume classic, Remembrance of Things Past. He took a bite of a Madeleine. It's a kind of a tea cookie he used to have when he was a child. And that one bite unleashed a tide of memories of his childhood and ultimately of his entire life. This sounds very gay. You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Uh, I'm in studio with Naya and John, and today we are talking about episode three, season three, the first real episode of season three, Fortunate Son. The air date was March 11th, 2001, written by Todd Kessler, directed by Henry Bronckteen. HBO synopsis. Christopher finds that being a made man isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Meanwhile, Janice moves into her mother's house, where she soon gets a leg up, (laughs) pun intended, on Livia's former housekeeper. Title, Fortunate Son. Song of the same name by Credence Clearwater Revival, right? Yes. From their uh, fourth studio album, Willie and the Poor Boys. And it's about Mm. spoiled and privileged kids. Sounds like there were millennials before... There were millennials kind of thing. Yeah, it became the uh, anti-war movement anthem. The fortunate sons in this episode are Chris, who becomes a made man. He gets his button. Uh, Jackie Jr., AJ, and young Tony Soprano, Mm. who looked an awful lot like AJ in this episode. Did you guys see little shades of AJ? He looked Irish, but yeah. Okay. He had freckles. <laughs> yeah, the Italians get all upset when Irish people are cast for it's a very Italian t- parts. Very tough subject. I'm surprised that there's been no bloodshed in this yeah. room of ours. <laughs> um, observation. Uh, the moment that Christopher, we alluded to, he's getting made this episode. The moment that he learns he's about to get made, he's rolling a joint, which I just thought was a little, with the title of the episode, what's about to happen to him and what he's doing. It just seemed like an interesting uh, social commentary on the future of this thing of ours, mm. of this thing of theirs. I liked the fish tank shot. I did too. I tried because to find some like, meaning in it. I was like, fish tank and the fish tanks. Like, these are all fish tanks, my fish tank homes. Yeah, I tried to count the fish and look around in the fish tank and do multiple freeze frames, but there was nothing really juicy in there. It was just sort of a nice transition. It just proves my point that they're all living in tanks. And you also hear the fish tank in this episode. You hear the bubbles yeah. mm-hmm. going. There's something going on with the I fish I just tanks. think it's because it's like, this is another fish tank and soon he's going to, now he's going to be made, so everything's changing. Like, he could potentially become the boss so it's like this isn't the other tank we should start to pay attention to this couple nice we'll roll with it. right out of the gates naya's bringing the flamethrowers um why meet at models if you're on the east coast you're familiar with models of course it's a sporting goods store i don't know if they're defunct now i think they might still be in existence unless dix has taken their corner but any thoughts on the significance of meeting outside a sporting goods store i think that was just the location to have them picked up yeah but models is probably not safe to the scatina bust out either Mm. Well, Models is more corporate. I feel like Tony and the crew would stay away from like the corporatized Maybe, yeah. entities and just go after the mom and pops. So Adriana is a little concerned when she finds out when when Christopher's like super excited and he gets to put his suit on. It's a great scene. I love it. It's Me one too. of her best Christophers of all time. Yeah. She like opens her mouth and she's like super excited. She like winds up like a pitcher and then she comes in and she does the Christopher. It's perfect. Oh my God. <laughs> Christopher. 
She wants a loft. I love it. She wants a loft. She doesn't want to. She, she kind of. It kind of sounded like she wanted to keep her job, though. She wasn't sure, like because he's like give notice, and she well, was she's like, like, "You wish." You well, wish. I think she's just like, "Let's just not get ahead of ourselves." Like, okay, you know. Um, he assures her that she's seen too many movies. Cut to the zoom in on Christopher. I wondered if there was an homage there somewhere with respect to the camera choice. I even alluded to this on a, on a picture frame that I posted. Him taking a long drag of his cigarette, the camera coming in tight, and then him looking over his shoulder. I feel like that's from something. Did you see a reference there? Do you know of a reference there, John? No, I know more of the references once they get to where he's being made. There's one where he gets in the car and there's a Godfather reference there. The Uber check before mm-hmm. the Uber check? Yeah. That, there's a Godfather scene that's slightly similar. I don't see it as much as some people say It's where is. one of the guys is gets about strangled. to get Rizzo, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, um, uh, Autopsy mentioned it too, right? It happens in a number of mob movies. It happens in Goodfellas. Goodfellas when, too, uh, the Joe Pesci character. Well, so let's let's focus on the yeah. the Uber position. Yeah. Um, in Goodfellas, there's a character that wants his money from the heist, and he bugs the characters enough to where they end up killing him. But he sits in the passenger seat and is stabbed with an ice pick through the the back of the head. Okay. So that's that's the Goodfellas reference. So that Christopher's I see for, thinking that you think, or well, it's, he, it's suggested. he sees too many movies. So yeah. if you're yeah. referencing the movies, and then the one that you mentioned is the the Goodfellas scene when Joe Pesci's character is whacked, believing that he's going to be made. Yeah. Uh, and it's Pesci's character in that movie that's responsible for the death of Spider, played by Christopher Maltesanti. So it's a fun little play on wink-wink to those movies. It is. Shoot your cuffs, make sure you look your best before you walk to your funeral. Yeah. I know. The amount of stress and anxiety of of wondering if you're going to be made or going to be killed, I can't even imagine. That's one of my favorite scenes, like watching him wait in the suit in the parking lot of the whole series. It's my favorite. I love it. And I think in a situation like that, if they wanted to kill someone... That's the place to do it because it's somewhere where all of them are there. The guy's got his guard down and he's expecting to be a part of something. So he's trusting to go hop into a car or do whatever. Yeah. Quick location note. Uh, That parking lot got a lot of attention. It's a parking lot at the corner of Passaic and Bergen Avenues, just north of Newark. Uh, Some listeners alerted me that it's a very different intersection now, um, as are most, I guess, for better or worse. One thing, another reference uh, that I read about was it could have also been a Donnie Brasco nod. Al Pacino's character thinks he's going to get killed, and he goes to a meeting where he's gifted something. Um, Hmm. So if they are really doing, you're watching too many movies, this would be a perfect play on that, because it would have been Godfather, it would have been Goodfellas, and it would have been Donnie Brasco in one fell swoop. The made man ceremony. Overwhelming? Underwhelming? I thought it was just traditional standard yeah i mean i have a a ton of thoughts about it uh (laughs) if it depends on who's the participant for christopher it's everything this is like uh, a crowning achievement in his life's work and probably something he's wanted for so long it's his art but the uh, initiations and rituals are different across religions fraternal even organizational and they serve to create a standard a shared experience a rebirth so uh, understanding in this world how important that is, it's a pretty momentous occasion. Choice of venue? A little underwhelming, maybe? I love the venue. You like the venue? Yeah, the busted-up ceiling? It's just like, it's a gross basement. So I just, gangster. So, you see, for me, like, there there was no pomp and circumstance. Like, there's nothing... 
there's nothing special other than the actual ceremony itself. And I just expected like a little, I just with expected something. the parties something. after with the strippers and the That's true. Gabagool with the Groove the Armada Pajuda. song, which is yeah, amazing to me that the Bada Bing would have Groove Armada on their playlist. Talk about an esoteric uh, gentleman's club. Well, when you mention esoteric, you guys know I'm a Freemason. And this scene means a lot to me in that sense now because I've gone through some of the rituals and A similar and initiation. Did you have to rub your hands in, in I, a flame? I cannot confirm or deny. <gasps> Here we go. But to that degree of uh, you are are going through something that to what a normal person that doesn't participate in all that or isn't aware of the steps that have taken to get there wouldn't appreciate the 10 to 15 minute portion that is sort of what it is. And then it's, it's everything after that is the celebration of... Everything after, I guess, is the most important thing. Yeah. The fact that the act happened is sort of just like a ceremonial thing. Okay. I know. Um, I tried to find something with St. Peter because that was his family's saint. Yeah. But St. Peter is just a prince of the apostles. But the only f- interesting fact about him is he was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus was when he died. It's kind of a beautiful thing when you think of it mm-hmm. that way. But that was Tony's family's saint. That's what he said. St. Peter yeah. is my family's saint. Yeah. I was like, I wonder why. There was a, a guy in a couple documentaries that I've seen. He was... Uh, Made a lot of moves in the mafia years ago uh, with the gas scandal, like the scheme of mm. doing gas things. And he ended up going public um, and now lectures a lot about the mob a little bit. And he explained uh, the initiation being somewhat similar to the the saint card and, yeah. and that whole. Yeah. So from that's been I, validated from a few people. Totally. From what I've read, it's actually very spot on. Yeah. There's a, there's a fire, there's a saint involved, and then there's basically a recitation of, like, what we expect of you, you know, the omerta. Mm. But I was just wondering, like, does this happen? Is it different? Like, is there, like, an East Coast, West Coast thing? Is there, like, you know, like, well, every team, every NBA team, you knew it was coming. Every, every player on every team has their own, like, universal, like, their own special handshake. I think they do. Like, certain gangs have different initiatives. The five families, do the five families do it a different way? like, some have to kill a kitten, some have to, like, you know, It's ultimately, this is the unifying shared experience that creates the solidarity for this group. Be it for good, bad, or indifference, this is just, I think, in society, uh, a tradition that's created to strengthen, you know, a united front or one group. The 6G minimum every week that Pauly tells Christopher he owes him once he gets the sports book feels like a lot, right? Yeah. Not knowing how much they'd really make on something like that, I think with this sports book, there's an opportunity to make a lot of money, but you're gambling with that money. And Pauly's thing is this could be as big or as large as you want it, but you're still going to, it's the operating cost. Like you just sold him a franchise. Welcome to the NFL. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was it was good timing because of the Super Bowl. Um, Julius Caesar was an epileptic? First of all, that's a great title for some kind of series in the Discovery Channel, okay? Not Netflix now? No. Have you switched networks? Yeah, we're, we're not. Lifetime, we're, Oprah? We're, oh. uh, we spread the love. Oh, yeah. um, do you have something on that? You, you looked at me like you had something. I, I want to. I, no, I was just excited about discovery. No, I did. Uh, it looks like facts appear to suggest a simpler, more logical diagnosis of stroke. Yeah. 
This uh, is what yeah. I read. Did you read the same paper I did? It's a 2015 <laughs> paper entitled, Has the Diagnosis of a Stroke Been Overlooked in the Symptoms of Julius Caesar? Published by doctors Francesco Galassi, who is no doubt Italian, mm-hmm. and Hutan Ashrafian, who is no doubt not Italian. The findings of the paper, as you just beautifully articulated, John, is that the Roman general may have been afflicted by cerebrovascular disease and suffered many strokes, not epilepsy. Uh, Okay, we're introduced to Carmine Lupertazzi for the first time, the boss of a New York family, one of five. The boss of Malaprops. The boss of Malaprops. Well, his son is the boss of Malaprops. So it is hereditary, then. It is hereditary. <laughs> uh, his son will be a uh, guest of Pada Bing no uh, way. in the very near future. Yeah, Carmine Lupertazzi Jr. The line. Is the psychiatrist helping? Oh, you know about that, too. So what? There's no stigmata these days. My kids saw a shrink. He got caught order for that thing with his wife. They're very happy now. What happened to privacy? Of course, he's referring to Stigma, but Stigmata is a very rewatchable movie with Patricia Arquette, who just won a bunch of awards for Escape at Denimora, which is a show on Showtime that Michael Imperioli's in. Hmm. See how that all came around? He's in it. He's in it. He's at the very end. He's Governor Cuomo at the very end. I haven't watched the end. Just for a minute. Just for a minute. It's really hard to watch that. Carmine Lupertazzi Sr. tacitly introduces little Carmine to the universe, the mere mention of his marital troubles. Again, the show's really deft at universe building with economy of words and very subtle hints that if you're looking at your phone or if you leave to go to the kitchen and get another, refresh your drink, you're going to miss it. Totally. Thoughts and impressions on Carmine? I thought, I mean, the fact that they're strippers, they're eating food, like it's just it's just hilarious, like just watching everything and so much glitter it's on just, the strippers. Yeah, what was up with that? It was just body glitter. That's what you know, probably smell like cucumber melon and prosciutto in there. You know, it's like that's what it is. I just thought it was like so respectful and also like so disrespectful and like a hilarious serious Yeah, like yeah. just it was just so perfect. Like even the scene where Polly says, I gotta kick up to that guy. And they shoot him just sitting with the plate, like, watching the two girls. Like, it's like, they're making fun of him, but it's so serious. Yeah. You know? Also, I thought it was interesting that Carmine said, answer the fucking phone. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, phone calls in this episode. And to me, like, the fact that we know what happens in another episode later with Carmine being on the other end of of certain phone calls and phone calls, there's a lot of, like, anxiety about picking up phones in this episode for some reason. And, like, Chrissy doesn't answer the phone at the end. And it's like... A fortunate son. There's. A, it's just interesting. He tells you know, who's he saying it to? Um, Christy doesn't answer the phone at the end when. Yeah, when, when everyone's calling when him. Everyone's and calling him. Uh, what's his name? Johnny Sack. He has to answer the phone because his boss told, him, told him, to. him to. So it's just this whole interesting. AJ gets the phone call. Talk to talk to your sister. It's just Jackie calls. Like it's just there's there's something going on, which is like fate and destiny and like the crows and you know, AJ's team Three-eyed or the Falcons. Raven. Okay. I love that scene. I love meeting Carmine. Yeah. I loved it all. So he does a couple of things. He establishes a bunch of stuff here. He mentions the Esplanade. This is the first we hear about it. Mm-hmm. It's a thing to pay attention to going forward for people that haven't for watched sure. the show, especially. He also establishes the backstory of the history of the Sopranos New Jersey thing with New York. It's not mentioned as a pygmy thing, yeah. even though he's thinking it's a pygmy thing. Um, so a lot of work is accomplished in this in this scene, but you're distracted. It can be easily distracting by the strippers and the food and all mm-hmm. the noise in the background, which is a very 
again, deft uh, way of conveying information. Question, why wasn't Ralphie at the Made Guy ceremony? So my thing is, is it crew specific? I is think he's not so. a member of that crew? Is that why he's not there? This thing of ours. So in any of this network of, and New York seems to control those books. So if you get opened up somewhere in that. So there's no, there's nothing but there's odd no, about him not being there to you. It's just, I it think is. there's something odd about him not being there. Me too. I, maybe. He might be just, too coked up to show up though. So that could be a reason. But he, he might be on a job somewhere or something. But he wouldn't miss a but, maid well, ceremony. Look at the people that were there. I mean, Everybody. Vito it was like the State there. of the Union. No, but it really wasn't. Vito's not a maid guy though. Yet. Was he? Spatafor? I don't think so. If you want to but we know Rich, knows. we've been told Richie's has responsibilities. You had a Herman there, which was strange. Or not Herman, um, Raymond Curto. Raymond Curto. Yeah, but Raymond Curto's a made guy. Yeah, but I'm saying like just yeah. randos that. Okay. I just, I'm, I know. Pl- I'm, I'm I think there's something. I'm there's putting some- it in front of the audience just in case there's a thought because he's, Ralphie's introduced as a, as a serious guy. I feel like if Richie was still around, Richie would have been there. Kind 100%. Of thing. Okay. Well, Richie's old school. Uh, he is old school. Bless his heart. He's in the Bermuda Triangle, you guys. Um, there's, that means there's still hope. Okay, Janice. Hmm. Janice uh, has a line where she says, Drew is 19 and can go all night. And I'm just putting it out there for us and for our, our listeners. Any thoughts of any kind on that zinger, Naya? <laughs> I don't... I don't know. I'm... It's hard to know what that... Why she's trying to throw that in her brother's face, I guess. That's what was most uncomfortable for me. Like, why do you want your brother to care? Tony's facial response, by the way, was the Sopranos equivalent of bruh. Um, How'd the pizza guy know Chris was made? Is this a production thing? Anyone knows. Or is it just... So we mentioned this before because I have a question about it. In movies before from... And I I need to back this up, but wearing pinstripes Mm. was something you're not allowed to wear unless you were a made guy. You brought this up earlier. Right? And... um, they make mention, look, Chris has got his stripes. And Chris is wearing stripes. stripes. Was he wearing pinstripes in the pizza parlor? Yeah. Yes. Okay, then that's you answered my question. Um, the song playing in the background of the pizza parlor is Led Zeppelin. It's a song by Led Zeppelin. And it's the first Led Zeppelin song ever to be used in a TV show. Because they, they turned it down before. Ever? Ever. They turned everything down. Oh, I thought down. it was just for Sopranos no. this long. Yeah. It's a huge wow. The Sopranos was the first show to get a Led Zeppelin sync. Isn't that nuts? That's it's a, gangster. It's a thing of fucking beauty is what yeah. it is. <laughs> they did it in the pizza parlor. <laughs> it's appropriate though. I know. It's, you know? Just, it's just... Americana, David pizza Chase parlor. is like an ultimate gangster. Like, thank you. I'm always thank learning you, stuff thank about you, Led this Zeppelin. show. Yeah. Pizza parlor. Jackie... Yeah. Like, yeah. just... <laughs> We're not, not, not even house. not even out credits. Not, not Stu Gotts. Yeah, not someone getting whacked. Not out credits. Right here. Pizza parlor with Jackie Jr. <laughs> yeah. Very cool piece of trivia, though. I love that. Incredible. Yeah, I of all the new Led information Zeppelin. that we get, like this one sort of blew my mind. Yeah, mind-blowing. Again, the show in and of itself was groundbreaking with music syncs. Mm-hmm. And this is a case in point in that. Mm. Michael Carbonara. Observation I liked. How they introduce Benny to the show. Another future guest of Pada Bing. He was on trial, but the DA tossed the charge. So simple, but so expansive in setting things up for Benny. The economy of words or the complete omission of them sometimes is utterly just fascinating to me. Yeah. There's a guy standing next to Christopher. We're all wondering who he is. We don't ever hear it, aside from Dino Zeruli asking him, DA, drop the charge. Yeah. All you need to know. 
thing of beauty. Totally. And Chris, he's there just to hear congratulations. He doesn't even get a piece of pizza. He's, no. he's just there to walk around in his pinstripes. And then he can't be seen in a place yeah. like that after yeah, of all. of course not. Is he an asshole for saying that? No, he's he's ahead of the curve. He's bragging. No, but he's uncomfortable in his stripes, too. He's realizing, I still am Jenny from the block, but I can't anymore. I think he's pretending. I think he, he's just, he thinks that he can say that now. Well, what's great, too, is that. he comes back to that same pizza parlor wearing a leather jacket, ready to do the dirty work just to make the money to kick back up to Polly. Yeah. So it's, it's, how quickly he can remove those stripes. I'm kind of sad that neither one of you like my J-Lo reference. I love Jenny from the Block. Uh, <laughs> I'm, still, I'm was, still Jenny from the Block. I was block. really proud of that one. I missed it. Okay, funny line. Christopher says to Jackie Jr., hair apparent, because the poor made man doesn't know that it's supposed to be air apparent. Again, it's so amazing because that's what Christopher Moltisanti in real life would do. I know. It's um, too real. Chris gets made. Tony, on the other hand, doesn't want Jackie in this life. He tells him to stay at Rutgers. He also doesn't want this life for his son, AJ, either. That was a big confession we heard. Which is a big confession, mm-hmm. right? It got me thinking about the timing of all the all three of these storylines at the same time is interesting. It's okay for you, Christopher, but it's not okay for my son, and it's not okay for Jackie. And we later learn that when Tony and, and Christopher are in the basement together, Christopher's kind of uncomfortable with, with the notion that it's not okay for Jackie, but it's okay for me. Thoughts on why it's okay for Christopher but why Tony's trying to cut everybody in the younger generation out? I don't know. And I was thinking about that on the way over here because then I went back to The Departed and Matt Damon's character is bred from a very young age to be brought up and even work in regular society but work directly with the mob to be an informant. And, and then even in Goodfellas, uh, his character is brought up at a young age to to this thing. It would seem that if they were really proud in this very episode where they're so proud to carry on this heritage and this thing of ours, um, that they wouldn't be more inclined to know that it's going on to their own blood, uh, passing that generationally on. I think that's why Chrissy gets it versus he wants AJ, because I think in this time, in this day and age, the mob, it's harder to be in the mob and it has a negative connotation you know Carmela wants them to get an education they want him to be on the football team they want him to go the right path like not the same as them like they respect they love what they do but I don't think they they want it for their son but Christy's blood so he could help replace that he he is the son in some way which is crazy or that he's too far gone he's already uh, Jackie Jr. still has a chance because he could be a doctor and Tony's holding on to that fleeting chance that maybe he can get him out of it. Or maybe that he thinks Jackie Jr. and AJ aren't strong enough. They haven't proven they could basically do anything. Because Jackie Jr. is the heir. Yeah. If, uh, if Jackie had survived, what would the show look like? You know. Yeah. They wouldn't let him. He was too weak. He couldn't figure it out. Dr. Melfi. A uh, couple of sessions in this episode. Melfi gets a lot of focus. She gets a lot of focus in this episode. She gets a lot of focus in the next episode. The next episode is Dr. Melfi's episode, not to get ahead of ourselves. But uh, Tony puts the phone on the table. I thought that was cute, the, as opposed to putting cards on the table like one is supposed to do in therapy. Just wanted to point that out. Also, with all the calling in this episode. There I know it was also football was season, football, but season. like, what's the right but call? That's usually yeah. it's a, like a sign of respect. Yeah. If you're like in a phone interview or a, a regular interview, you, you take your phone out, you put it down. Yeah. Or you take your watch off and like that you're mindful of the time. Yeah. But I thought how funny it was that he made a point to do that. 
And then interrupts and takes a phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A lot of symbolism there. Uh, She mentions a three-pronged approach in this therapy session. Uh, The third part that she mentions specifically is cognitive behavioral therapy. And CBT, as it's called in the business of mental health, briefly is a type of psychotherapy. He's in psychotherapy right now, but you can't have one without the other. And just to Dr. Justin this in one sentence or less, its variants include exposure therapy, which is IDing triggers and facing them or confronting them, and a mindfulness-based stress reduction approach. That's what she's advocating. I've always wondered what it was. I've never had the wherewithal to look it up because I was just a casual fan, but now we are essentially going through graduate school in The Sopranos, and so I feel duty-bound to put it out there for everybody. Thank you. Um, Ralphie wants Roe to get Jackie Jr. straight for being late and rude. Uh, When Carm's mom said, you'd never know it, was that a knock or a compliment? It was a backhanded compliment. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, Svetlana. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. I love that line. It's one of the lines that I use regularly in uh, with my toddler now. <laughs> I was going to say in parenthood. <laughs> yeah, it's a, great, <laughs> it's a great thing for parenthood. Uh, Janice steals her leg as a kind of blackmail, right, to get her mother's CD collection, or not CD collection, sorry, record collection, back into her possession. Later, we learn that Irina's getting married, which I thought was weird. I never knew where that came from. Why don't we stick to the subject here, Tony says. Your cousin's missing a leg and the hands great lines all around any reactions thoughts uh, commentary on Svetlana Janice Tony Irina uh, it's tough to talk about this scene without giving ever, anything giving away. anything yeah. away it's also like I agree it's so weird because it sets up one of a, a biggest memories like a memory he has so it's like it almost feels like a dream sequence like there's these two random Russian women sitting, talking, smoking, and one's missing a leg. And then he's just, and like, he's eating, eating cold cuts and orange juice. And orange juice symbolizes death to me, and meat is, like, a trigger for stress. And there's these two foreign people in his mother's house. Like, there's the symbolism of just, like, what the fuck? And then he goes triggered back to, like, a childhood a memory. memory. That's the only thing that I take from that scene. I'm just like, what the fuck? It was a dream. It was a fucking dream It was dream a sequence. dream, and yeah. it was meant to set up something more important. Which is the Melfi session after the flashback to the pinky cutoff scene. Okay? So the line... All this from a slice of gabagool. All this from a slice of gabagool. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even say the line without laughing. It's a great sort of segue to the humor slash drama that is the show. It's dipping in and out of that. Um, Tony didn't mind the visual we learned. He kind of liked seeing his dad do that, which was interesting. Kind of a psychosis of Tony. Um... Do you think he meant that though? I, I felt like that was all just posturing. Tough guy. Yeah, I think he did. I think the I think the young Tony actor portrayed uh, a little bit of nervousness, but also sort of like, you know, like when we were growing up and we we got to like open up our dad's liquor cabinet, or you know, we got to watch a show that our parents didn't know we were watching, and while they were in the kitchen, it's the same kind of thing. The adrenaline. It's the adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Boy talks about. Afterwards, he's taking a nap, which a lot of people say the wake up from that nap was Oscar worthy. Mm. Uh, I have to go back and watch that. Someone pointed it out to me. The music playing during the scene where he wakes up and then talks to young Tony about how he should never gamble is in Ennio Morricone's title score from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I know. And he tells Tony that a soprano always, essentially he does, he pulls a Tyrion Lannister, uh, a soprano always pays his debts. And he tells young Tony never to gamble which I think was on purpose to tell him, be on the other side. Don't be a Scatino, be the yeah. dealer. 
right? That was an early seed that was planted because the kid was a sponge and he soaked that in. And then we see Johnny Boy and Janice sharing an intimate moment in front of the kids, which I kind of liked because it made me like Janice a little bit. Okay, so I took the liberty to nerd out on Marcel Proust, the man, and this work of art he produced. So here's that. Marcel Proust was born Valentin Louis Georges Eugene Marcel Proust in 1871. He was best known as a novelist, critic, and essayist. His most acclaimed work is A Remembrance of Things Past, which is also called In Search of Lost Time. It was published in seven parts over a 14-year period. Born into a Catholic family and confirmed as one, Proust never formally practiced and later in life became an atheist and a bit of a mystic. The writing of Remembrance began around 1909 when Proust was 38 years old. The total work is around 3,200 pages, depending on the translation. The story chronicles the narrator's, who's never named, adventures through life from adolescence to adulthood. It simultaneously meanders between life events and the metaphysical purpose, meaning, and possible pointlessness of it all, very much like the show. Proust died before he was able to work through drafts of the final parts of the book. That job was assumed by his brother, Robert. Graham Greene, a Mount Rushmore-level writer on his own right, called Proust the greatest novelist of the 20th century. In The Sopranos, Tony refers to Melfi's commentary on Proust as, quote, gay. While that was likely a coincidental statement, Proust is believed to have been gay. The anecdote of the Madeline that Melfi mentions appears in the first volume of the series, Swan's Way. The Madeline, of course, sparked the notion of involuntary memories. We all have our own personal Madelines that trigger the same emotional cascades. And when I first read Proust, this is what connected me to the material. For me, my Madeline equivalents are Taco Bell and Nirvana's 1994 MTV Unplugged album. Time stops and memories percolate in both instances every time. Proust is a welcome addition to the fabric of The Sopranos, and when I first heard Dr. Melfi mention him several years ago, shortly after I had finished studying about him in school, I recognized something greater was happening with this show that made it not just a show, but rather a holistic experience. After Melfi talks about Marcel Proust, she explains that she's using it as a device for him to understand root causes. And when in life we as people understand the root causes of things, it makes us less vulnerable, she says, to future episodes. I thought that was a nice way to segue it. I love how she always goes over his head. But I think what she's doing genuinely is she's trying to get him to think outside of his universe outside of the Tony Soprano universe and trying to make him a more sage individual. And that's why she name drops these people. It's not yeah. It's not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of her patient. We also see progress. He's literally grilling meat. And AJ comes out and says, Mom says she's waiting for the meat. Like, that would be literally a, an example where he should have a panic attack or feel stress. And nothing happens. Yeah. And he's talking about work. So because maybe this new understanding of just even identifying what he did in therapy— Maybe that's why that was averted. Mm. Like, they set that up where Mm. it's like, he's literally grilling. He's talking about business. That's stressful. And AJ literally says, like, 
mom wants the meat, where's the meat? And we it parallels what Melfi said, like where the meat comes from, is the pressure of bringing home your own bacon. Nothing happens. He's he's chill. So I don't know about you, John, but when she says averted, I think of Tony. Uncle June and I, we had our problems with the business. But I never should have asked him about eating pussy. This whole walk could have been averted. Cunnilingus and psychiatry brought us to this. <laughs> Every time I hear the word averted, I averted. hear Tony Soprano's pronunciation of it. I don't think you can pronounce it any better. Uh, even though yours was close. I've read that people didn't like that uh, diagnosis of the meat connection. The meat sweats? And that it was could have been Chase's making fun of psychology or psychiatry and that scenario. So I will say this about that. It's a food trigger. And we learn from Marcel Proust and Melfi tells us when he bites into the Madeleine, the, which is a French biscuit, that triggers a cascade of emotions. Similar to if I hear a song, I heard a song at the gym the other day. Um, and it was, oh, it was Ice Cube. Uh, today was a good day. I hadn't heard it in a long time. And I was doing the bench press and I nearly, it nearly fell on me because it triggered this cascade of me playing basketball with my friends when I was like 13 years old. So that's real. Like, yeah, oh, totally. Biting into, senses, biting into cold cuts, uh, listening to a song, biting into a Madeline. So I think she, it wasn't a not, I think he needed the food tie-in for Marcel Proust. Well, That's this whole point. show, Food, is is like, there's a very dysfunctional relationship with food in the show. And like, they emotionally overeat most of them. Even like the fact that even in the dinner scene, Carmela has the line, Mario Patelli's string beans, my favorite line of this entire... Product placement. It's a good she, one. They didn't even need that. She could, They didn't even yeah. need to see her bring that out. Like She food, was so proud of it, though. Yeah, but, like, food is such a crutch, but also, like, it, you know, even later on, you know, I, I know this doesn't matter, Mom, but food doesn't solve every problem. Like, what's wrong? You want you got to eat something. Yeah. Like, there is some weird food addiction with Italians. The non sequitur of Mario Batali to the phone call that... AJ had that was a nice transition yeah. the use of that was a great transition because totally. you see her and then it cuts to a scene um, Meadows going to Litchfield Connecticut which is a place where Benjamin Franklin was once held prisoner during the Revolutionary War uh, was Noah's response it's lucky I didn't punch his fucking lights out inappropriate did that surprise anyone else besides me it was age appropriate it was it, it, punk idealistic College kid. Columbia that, kid, though, trying to impress his girlfriend's mother. He's no? just a loser. He had, like, socks and tevas on before it was ironically cool. Education does not dictate your douchebaggery. Yeah. Sometimes it probably makes it worse. Yeah, he's smart, but he's so annoying and lame. Outside, AJ hears a studious conversation. Outside Meadows College dorm, I should say. AJ hears studious conversations about Hegel, uh, which got me freaking out about the significance of why they mentioned Hegel as the choice of philosopher that A.G. hears. So I looked into that a little bit. Hegel was a German philosopher. He was responsible for articulating the term idealism. Mm -hmm. But his work is considered by many to be responsible for the philosophies of Nietzsche, existentialism, and modern psychoanalysis. So the connection to Nietzsche was a nice dime from the writers because it was Nietzsche that threw A.G. into a tizzy before. Um, you just barely hear him mentioned. If you're not paying attention, totally. you're not going to miss it. Uh, it's a big episode for AJ. Big episode for AJ. Janice plays dumb regarding the leg. Who's Bill again? I missed that. I got up to get to refresh her, my drink. Her, uh, knight in shining armor. 
Okay. That's who carried her out of the Gap store when her leg fell off. Did you miss that too? Like, were you? you yeah, because it was just, just so quick. It. Okay, so that's Svetlana's guy. Mm-hmm. Established. All right, Chris back at the pizza place. One of you mentioned he was in a leather jacket this time. Uh, there's a bunch of lines in here, but there's a lot, also a lot of story that takes place. Um, he learns that there's a job at Rutgers. There's a benefit concert, Jewel's benefit concert. Are we fans of Jewel? Were I we love fans Jewel. of Jewel? Love Jewel. Good yeah, story. Jewel. Yeah. Dino got pinched. Which was Jackie's friend. So Jackie's in for this heist, if you want to call it that. Scream, the masks that Christopher and uh, Benny are wearing. Was this like Scream primetime? Yeah. It had to be, right? Yeah. Rejuvenated the modern horror movies. Yeah, yeah for sure. Big. For sure. Did any of you guys catch Perez Hilton? Yes, he was cast in this. He was the... He was the one they robbed from. The kiosk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Perez Hilton. Have you met him? Yeah. He seems like he'd be a character to hang out with. He'd be um, a good character to rob. Let's just say that. <laughs> right, he could be easily robbed. <laughs> Back at the Soprano house, uh, the dinner table, just the three of them uh, this time. There's no meadow. Awkward family dinners. Let me count the ways. How many times do we see awkward family dinners in this show? My poor brother. Uh, why did overhearing conversations about Hegel push AJ away from college? I'm not sure if this is a reach, and I may edit this out unless it comes into something useless was it something much simpler than existentialism like why did he all of a sudden freak out about college to you guys was there anything there yeah, is there a point to that of course i think this is what he's growing up he's has to make decisions he wants to join the football team like a couple of episodes does back, he want to play though we don't know this is like him trying life he's trying out he's trying what he life. wants to do like and that. like you know being on campus hearing people talk about shit and all these weirdo freaks and smart people like it's really overwhelming you know he has no idea what like going to the you know Harvard or West Point he can't even, even means. Out a Robert Frost poem. Yeah, so I think this is him trying to actively participate in life in some way, or do what he thinks he might like. And he's getting promoted, but he doesn't even know if he likes it yet. He's still processing. Same with Chrissy. Like I don't even like if I if I know if I like this. That shit's this too hard. It's hard. Yeah, I'm with you because you made that Easter egg mm-hmm. there. The Hegel. Yeah. yeah. So the last time that he, he got mm-hmm. into that was really depressed himself. And then if he was thinking, if this is what college is like, then I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. And they're yeah. the Falcons, and the Falcons have those little hats on until they can see. Like, the name, that's his bird. He's a falcon. Does the team name mean anything? Yeah, the Falcons. Like, that's that bird. Chrissy has a crow, and Tony has a duck. They Raven. all have their Yeah, they all have their symbols of birds that mean different things. You watch Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. ravens are to the... Is that a raven three, or a crow? It's a raven. Are you sure? Definitely raven. Westeros came to North Jersey that day. What makes a raven not a crow? A different kind of bird. What's a raven then? I thought I was a crow. So was it a crow or was it a raven? Of course, I was partially joking about it being a raven to merely bring the world of Westeros into the world of The Sopranos for a moment. But here's some info on the distinctions. Obviously, both are black and look relatively similar. And it is confirmed that there is no consistent distinction between ravens and crows. But ravens often travel in pairs, while crows are seen in larger groups. Next, crows' tails are shaped like a fan or two feathers side by side, whereas a raven's tail is shaped like a wedge. Sound is another predictor. Crows make a cawing sound, but ravens produce a low croaking sound. As far as New Jersey goes, raven populations have been on the upswing since the 1990s, and they are usually larger than their crow cousins. Just putting this all out there for you guys, back to the show. Polly gets paid. I love the scene where the Range Rover's pulling up, 
Christopher jumps out of the car and he pivots his yeah, foot. And he that wa- dolly shot is insane. Amazing shot. He comes in. He's pissed. He hands him the money. Um, it, it just this whole sequence is basically just the main takeaway. Here's the lines. It's just a dime bag in writing ingenuity. Uh, you got to get your seven hours. It's inspired many a memes from this interaction yeah. alone. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the NFL, kid. Uh, tomorrow's a new day. I've been saying tomorrow's a new day to everybody ever since I've seen this. Um, His optimism, Polly, he's probably one of the most positive characters in guy. the cast. He's he, a good guy, but don't he, fuck with him. But he's been in the military, so part of me thinks that training is like he's got a... So I got a conspiracy about all of this. Tell me. Uh, there's tell a scene us. where Tony takes the call during busy season at Melfi's, and he talks about 50 grand mm. and something about oh, if he can cover it. And... I'm thinking, what if Polly had some someone bet in Chris's new book, taking advantage of not laying off the action in Philly or that college game itself, and bet big, forcing Chris to lose his nut a little too and have to pay Polly more? Because for the money that Polly got, you know, 2000 plus the four, six Gs to hand to Tony, they were way too excited about six Gs. I felt like this was like a, a lesson that they taught him. And he even went into... How is our young... Because he's strong. Yeah, because he's... So let's let's kick him down really hard so that he knows. And what we're going to do is give him the books. We'll take advantage of it. You know the books better than he does. That makes sense. Run some stuff. Make some money off Drown him out, and then we'll get a little money for teaching him this lesson. 100%. And then they talked about it like they knew they were in on something together. And that makes a lot of sense when he meets him for dinner. Which is a question I have for you. He... Polly goes up to pay Tony. And I wondered how much. You say it was the whole bag. He gave him the whole envelope. I feel like it was way more than that. I think it had to do with placing a bet in Chris's book. I think that's true. That My takeaway was does Polly owe more now to Tony as a result of his previous bag being light? Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Which bag? He got four G's from Christopher the first time. And he said, it's light. And you're going to owe me two more because he has to kick it to the man upstairs every time too. So that first payout that Christopher gave him was light. So he had to go into his own. And he, he had, had to, to go into, into his, his own, own end. So, because he has to give Tony, I'm sure Tony has his minimums or whatever. So that could be two sides. I don't think, I, I like your idea better though. That, I just don't see, I mean, we've seen them get excited about money before, but it's been massive. Much bigger deals. Yeah. A, a, good, a good worth wink. The money. It's yeah. just as like in, like, you know, the new fraternity kids, they get, I, I totally think that probably is what it is. That I'll, makes I'll, sense. I, I like it. Okay. Yeah, t- Tony and Paulie wanted to teach him a lesson and have a little fun on the side. Yeah. Because uh-huh. it's, it's a game. Because he's yeah. a new new newbie. That's cool. After that, Tony asks Polly, what's wrong with the kid? When's he going to grow up? Okay, which kind of could go against what you said because it looks like Christopher, it looks like Tony's trying to like get under the hood a little bit on Christopher, but it cuts to AJ on the field. This is how the show ends. When's this kid going to grow up? Cut to AJ Soprano being told that he's going to be made defensive captain. And then he faints. He has the episode that Hesh tells us that Johnny Boy had, that AJ, that we saw Tony Soprano, young Tony Soprano have earlier in this episode. And now we come full circle with AJ Soprano having it to the end credit song of Where's the Money by Dan Hicks, which was an interesting choice. Again, a big fuck you. Okay. I think that's it. We're done. Favorite scene? The maid scene. Yeah, that one's good. Mine's the long drag with the camera. I just, it's just, that's my favorite scene in the entire, it's cinema. I'm so attracted to him. Any nitpicks? Uh, I, the slow motion with the football, there was a lot online about what it meant and why. And it's a lot of heat. Yeah. And I, and I try to figure out what it means for myself 
And I don't know. Because it doesn't age well. It doesn't age well, but it also, it's like, I think it's more what we're talking about with AJ trying to figure out himself. Like, I don't think it has anything to do with seeing his father as a monster. I think it was for us to think that maybe something harmed him, like he got hurt. Because like, when everything slows down, you freak out, like, oh my God, something happened. Something's going to happen. But I think it's just him, like, having a moment, like the way you would have a panic attack where things either all slow down and he's just, like, disoriented. I always read it like it was AJ. We were in yeah, AJ's head 100%. for a minute. Yeah. He was dizzy and he was kind of feeling his way through it. And then when he came to, it goes back to real world. Yeah. Any lessons learned from this episode? Tomorrow's a new day. Lay off the action on Philadelphia a little. And yeah, don't bet. Could a Netflix series be spun off on the basis of this episode and what would it look like? You guys already heard one of mine, which was Julius Caesar was an epileptic. I wouldn't watch Question that. mark. That's the title. <laughs> the emphasis on the question oh, mark. I have uh, The All Night Show starring Janice and Drew. It's a variety show that goes all night. Uh, uh, what channel is that on? The, it's pay-per-view. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting for Real someone sex. to sign a contract before I announce the... Uh, uh, I have a, a reboot of MTV's Made, but Made, <laughs> Made, Made. And One Wife, Monotony or Monogamy. It's a, a malaprop on marriage counseling starring Carmine Jr. Mm. and his wife and Melfi. And it's a backstory that you don't realize that the psychiatrist that little Carmine was seeing was Melfi. And it's like, what would that have been like? Because he had problems with his wife, remember? But now they're fine. <sighs> now they get along. Way over. There was a... I hate that. That one's getting removed. <laughs> Man. Uh, but, last... yeah, you try to make a malaprop out of a TV show name. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I would like to see Richie as a kid. So I have witness protection oh. as one of mine, the last one, which is because they mentioned that when he tells, Tony tells Jackie that uh, that your uncle's in witness protection and you could do a show called witness protection. And basically it's a show with a frame where you expect to see Richie, but you just never fucking see Richie because he's actually dead. <laughs> so it's just scenery. I love it. And it's like crickets and like, it's like Hawaii. Okay. You see the ocean, you see waves, you see a nice apartment, but no sight of Richie and no, no dialogue. Be... It's just 30 minutes of silence. <laughs> last call anybody got anything one of my favorite episodes i think it was after, a great episode. after watching this again i was like damn I like first this real one. episode of the season yeah i love the slow burn of season three to be honest with you I, I guess my only real question is is the raven or whatever the fuck bird it is warning christopher or not yeah I is it a bad that. omen i believe it's symbolism for sure 100 percent timing, the eye contact. It could mean nothing. It could mean something. The ambiguity of David Chase is at full force again. But I like to believe that it's basically him saying, because Tony says right before, you guys can change your mind and we won't judge you for it. And he looked to the window. And that was his out. out. Mm -hmm. And when he decided to stay in, the three-eyed raven had had an opinion. It didn't have three eyes, There's no out in that situation, though. Um, You have a last call? Uh, Who is the most fortunate son in this episode? Christopher. You think so? He's the most significant character out of the four. He just... I don't think Tony's fortunate because he got into this thing of theirs I think when it was on the way down. So but he he, got in he's the in the middle of a vast amount of wealth and power. I think Tony's the fortunate son. Yeah, that's what I'm picking. Up until this point, the show's been about Christopher. First three seasons, it's been about where is his arc. He finally got it, and he realized it's not what it's all cracked up to be. And he's the title's actually Irony. 
he's it's a fortunate son. You got what you wanted. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, he thinks it's what he wants. This is not his arc. This is his death certificate. It's been a pleasure as always, guys. Always. Likewise. Thank you, John. Thank you, Naya. Thank we'll you, see you Nick. next week. <laughs> <laughs>